Welcome to the HR Room Podcast, the podcast series from Insight HR, where we talk to business leaders from around Ireland and share their advice on how to create the HR systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, simply visit www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Okay. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of the HR Room podcast. Long-term absence is something that nobody wants to face. Firstly, of course, the employee who is going through either a physical or mental challenge and is being forced to be silent from work. And secondly, the employer who is caught between caring for their colleague but also trying to run a business at full strength. So what can HR teams and employers do to manage this? But to talk about this today, we're delighted to be joined by two of our very own leading experts and HR consultants in this area. Liam Barton and Joe Thompson. Thanks for joining us both. How are you? Very good. Thanks. Great one. Thank you. Brilliant stuff. Uh, so, looks so let's jump right in. Um, there's a lot to cover, and it's it's one that I know is, is popular. We get a lot of requests, I suppose, to, to to talk about it. So, Liam, I might just come to yourself first, a bit of a context setter, as we kind of usually do. Um, what do we mean, Liam, when we say long-term absence? Is there kind of a specific definition, or what does it encompass? Any kind of thoughts on that? Yeah, absolutely, Owen, and I, I'm very concerned that I'm defined as a, a leading expert. Um, I, I certainly wonder whether you'd be done under the, the, the Trades Descriptions Act. But um, in, in general terms, I mean, there's not a legal definition. Um, long-term absence isn't typically defined within any piece of legislation, but I suppose in general terms, um, it typically arises where someone is unable to attend work or is absent from work um, for four continuous weeks or more. So typically a shorter term absence of less is, is not defined as a long term absence. Um, and it typically, I suppose, all relates to where an employee has a serious illness or an injury um, which would prevent him or her attending work for that, that period of time. Sometimes it involves um, an operation Sometimes it involves recovery time. Um, you know, I suppose we, we, we'd spoken years ago, typically related more often to physical health injuries, which can be, you know, an illness or a physical injury or broken bone or or um, some any form of, of injury or impairment. But now, increasingly, we're talking about mental health. And I suppose, the, unfortunately, we, we're in a country and a society where there are more mental health issues and there are more challenges in that that area. So really, I suppose employers are dealing with employees who are presenting both um, with, with challenges in terms of their physical health, but also in terms of their mental health. And they're trying to, I suppose, appropriately navigate their way through that. 100% that's something we probably did see a boost during COVID, which I know we're, we're thankfully fairly past the, the worst of that, but an important one to note because it probably was a, a kind of a, I suppose the thing that did, did obviously increase the, the demand for this and the occurrence of this. Um, I suppose, Joel, come to yourself next. So let's kind of chat about the policy, Joe. Um, where does it kind of slot in? I mean, should it go in alongside the sick pay policy? But it's not as obviously straightforward as something 
as just narrow as short-term sick leave is it just probably a few bits to it yeah i feel like it needs to form part of a wider policy so like a sick leave policy where you can talk about <clears throat> the pay you can talk about the differences between long-term illness uh, and short-term illness or intermittent absences as well i mean there's no legal definition as such for what constitutes long-term absence but as liam said most businesses will consider it to be a period of four weeks or more outside of the workplace and some businesses will state in documentation like their handbook what periods of time away from work they would consider to be long term but like all matters when it comes to managing absence you need to make decisions kind of based on a case-by-case basis there's there's so many variable scenarios and situations you need to take into consideration and obviously it's a bit of a minefield for hr professionals because no case is the same Um, and like while there isn't a legal definition for what long-term absence is we still do need to consider legislation that touches on it which is what's taken into consideration when we draw up policies so you know that being said the equality act needs to be kept in mind an employee cannot be discriminated against by their employer because of an illness as that could that illness could be considered disability which is obviously one of the nine protected characteristics so Unlike the fact that there's no legal definition for long-term sickness, um, in Ireland, our definition of what is considered to be disability is one of the widest ranges in any legal system. If an employee feels they're being treated differently or less favorably because of an illness, an employer could be facing a difficult equality claim against them. Other legislation that we consider and take into consideration when we're drawing up policies on, on sick leave is the Workplace Relations Act, which stipulated that you know, those who are on sick leave, as long as it's certified sick leave or accrue annual leave for the duration of their absence. And um, we have seen, you know, in the last few years, there are people that stay on sick leave a little bit longer, partly because of this, because there are more social protections in place. But any policy that we have needs to be about being proactive about the absences. And I think if you have your policy in place alongside a sick pay policy, and have a clear idea of how you're going to deal with each situation, be that long-term sickness or short-term sickness, I think it's important for managers to have at their disposal. Mm -hmm. Definitely. I suppose kind of perfect segue on to my next question, policy, procedure, procedure, kind of goes hand in hand with policy. So come back to yourself for that, Joe. I know you kind of said that every case typically is different. um, So there might not be, might be a bit of a, a tough one to answer, but is there kind of a set way of, dealing with this i mean we said it should be kind of mentioned the policy of kind of how we do it and how it's laid out there but is there kind of a best practice i know again tough one to answer probably but is there at least a kind of a some sort of guiding principle to how you should deal with it i know you mentioned a couple of bits already yeah i mean you know everyone's going to treat or, or deal with these situations differently but in my own experience the first thing to do with an employee you know let's take for example you get a six up from them start a paper trail and acknowledge that you've received their six up. Uh, if the company do have an employee assistance program or EAP as we call it, offer that to the, the employee straight away and stay in contact, you know, where appropriate with the employee. Um, you know, if, if the employee has been absent for one month and then submits another certificate to state that it'll be out for a fair period of time, to me, that's when it becomes a long-term absence and I'd start becoming more proactive. So the first thing I would do is invite them to attend a welfare meeting, which is, you know, it's involuntary, it's an informal kind of meeting. 
the person could have a, a family member with them or a friend as a moral support. It doesn't have to be in person. You're not asking them to come into the workplace to do this meeting. And the, the purpose of the meeting is essentially to you know, show, show your concern for the employee. Also ask them when they envisage they could be coming back um, or when they could return to work. More importantly, is there anything you can do to accommodate the return to work as well? Now, this could be a gradual return, for example, starting back on two or three days a week and building up to their usual hours. It could also be a risk assessment, see if duties can be altered or, or permanently or temporarily. Now, if the employee does return to work after going through a welfare meeting, I would always recommend doing a return to work meeting to help the employee assimilate back into the workplace. And just as important is get the employee to sign their agreement that they are fit to return to work as well. So, I mean, that would be the way I'd, I'd begin the process for sure. Definitely. And one of the, the, the points Joe mentioned there at the end, Liam, um, was that kind of return to work stage. Um, and I assume when somebody returns, comes back to work after a period of time, I assume the process isn't obviously over there. As Joe said, there might be follow-up meetings. Um, what do they kind of look, feel like? What's the objective here? And is there anything else you need to do after that to ensure, I suppose, a kind of a smooth transition, but also kind of a bit of compliance there as well, isn't there? Yeah, I, I think it's a really important point, Owen. And um, I think it's a point that on occasion gets neglected. And I'd, I'd emphasize to employers to, I suppose, which is what we should be doing at all stages, is understand the human side of it. Um, and particularly where you have someone who might be out of work months, um, you know, there's practical realities in terms of, you know, there may be a FOB system or a sign-in and sign-out system. Um, there may be new te computer technology. You know, somebody may be, somebody will be apprehensive in terms of returning to the workforce or on what sort of, you know, reception am I going to get from my fellow work colleagues? Will there be nobody, somebody new in my department? Um, you know, who's been covering my work? while I've been gone, um, you know, how busy is the department now? Um, so there'd be real fear and anxiety, I think, for the person uh, returning. So I think it's really, really important that, that HR departments and, and organizations support the return to work, like Joe's um, alluded to in terms of a return to work meeting, where the employee can be asked, you know, is there anything that you feel would support you in terms of returning to work? Um, you know, are there any concerns you have? You know, and that's down to the practical levels. On we've had, you know, difficulties in terms of clients. You know, there may be somebody new on the security desk or the reception desk, and you know, somebody's returning to work after six to eight months, and you might say, "Well, who are you? Um, you know, wh where's your FOB key or where's your identification?" So, I, I think going through as many practical things as you can in terms of what can make the return to work as, as easy as possible. I definitely agree with, with Joe in terms of a return to work meeting and continuing possibly to offer EAP. And I suppose as well, you know, a regular check-in. Um, because, you know, if, if it can, if it's, we'll say, a, a physical um, barrier in terms of somebody has a medical condition in terms of they might have been out of work for a period of time, you know, if it's, you know, related to their back or their shoulders or whatever, and they're going back in lifting products, I think you need to be really, really careful. And you may need to do, you know, 
an additional risk assessment in terms of what's the maximum weight this person can lift, um, what are the arrangements in terms of the um, the department they're going to be operating in. So there's a lot of practical um, things that organizations need to be aware of and need to cover before the employee comes back and afterwards. And I think it's always good to um, check in with the employee um, on a regular basis. How are things going? How are you feeling? How is the transition back to work going? How is everything within the department? How are you getting on with everyone? And I think the more communication you have in the initial stages of the return to work, as, as Joe pointed out in terms of a return to work meeting, but assimilating the employee back in terms of their department and their colleagues, I think the more communication that takes place, the better on. 100%. And Joe, I suppose, just from obviously, I suppose, common sense around kind of long-term absence and the, the medical side of things, I assume Joe, HR isn't kind of the, the only person that, I suppose, holds this on their back. I assume kind of a medical expert referral, whoever that may be, is probably an essential kind of piece of the puzzle as well. Any advice on kind of making sure that that's done and that's done effectively as well, that connection to occupational health or whoever it may be? Yeah, it's, it's absolutely essential to make any decisions for the company based on medical opinion. You know, just to go back to if an employee doesn't come back after a welfare meeting, the next step for me is to send them to an occupational health assessment to get a medical opinion regarding that employee's fitness to work. And the report that comes from that will also offer ways forward too, such as a change of duties or um, you know, a time frame for them to return. It's incredibly important that decisions that are made about employment of individuals need to have medical opinion. Decision cannot be reached in-house to dismiss an employee or make accommodations or changes to their terms and conditions without having to, two medical reports that both state that an employee you know, will not be able to return to work in the foreseeable future. Um, and then that's not even the end of it. You'd need to invite the employee to a medical capability hearing in order to give them, to discuss the medical reports with them and to let the employee make representations and, and engage in the process about whether or not they could return to work. It's, it's a complex and sometimes a fraught process because this this employee is in this situation through no fault of their fault of their own. Um, but if you don't show fair accommodation, if you do not get medical reports to back up your decisions, you could be looking at a costly equality claim on grounds of disability. Um, but on the other hand, if you follow a fair process, y- you know you should be fine. There was a high court case last year, uh, McCormick versus Ashford Castle. Employee had been out sick for three years when his employer actually got around to going through the whole process to dismiss him on grounds that he was not well enough to do his job. Um, he he took his employer to WRC. Uh, he lost that case. He then appealed it to the, lo- the Labour Court who upheld the decision of the WRC. And then he took the case of the High Court, who also found that there was no, no fault on the employer. So it's just it's a good example of if you follow a fair procedure and gain medical opinions, support your decisions, you're on solid foundations. But I would, you, you have to get medical opinion. You can't just say this person's been out for so long, um, I'm just going to leave them go. It's um, you've, you'd have an equality claim, and you'd be have quite a lot of legal exposure there. 
Definitely. And I think we might actually jump back into what are the risks of getting this wrong in a moment, but I'd like to just jump back into that whole case law area. Um, Joe mentioned a good case there, Liam. Um, any additional kind of case law in this area from you, Liam? I know we spoke about this uh, recently in one of our internal things. Um, any kind of case law that you think of note in this in this kind of topic? Yeah, I, I mean, I definitely emphasize, uh, re-emphasize what, what Joe was saying in terms of the, the fair procedure on. I mean, mm. in general terms, um, you know, the Unfair Dismissals Act does provide that, you know, ultimately um, an employee can have their employment terminated on the basis of ill capacity. Um, but that's not an open-ended sort of um, allocation or allowance to employers. And Joe is absolutely correct in terms of the importance of a fair procedure. And I think the third-party forums, whether the, the Workplace Relations Commission or the Labour Court or indeed the, the court, um, set a very, very high bar in terms of what's expected of a reasonable employer own in terms of, you know, if you're potentially dismissing somebody who's been in your employment, um, you really need to set out what is the basis for that decision. And, you know, very often we come across, and, and Joe has again said it, that Employers believe, well, look, you know, Liam's been out now for 13 or 14 months. Um, you know, I've no indication he's coming back. So therefore, I think it's reasonable to let Liam go. And you might think that, but certainly there would be an expectation that you would reach out, reach out to Liam, engage with him, um, make him aware that there's potential that his, his job is at risk if he's not in a position to return to work in the foreseeable future. Um, get medical evidence. Joe's absolutely right. Medical evidence is so important because if, a, if an employer has made a decision that's not based on medical reports, which are independent of the employer, then he or she is going to be seen as being, um, I suppose, um, unfair in terms of the actions that they've taken. So essentially you get the medical evidence, you put that to the employee, you give the employee and his medical advisors or specialists time to take advice and consider the matter and then you hold a meeting where you outline the look, if after a period, certainly I would say 16 to 18 months from the initial date, um, the employee has gone sick, um, unless there's a return to work in the foreseeable future that the role may be at risk. And the other thing I, I think which is important to consider is probably the Nano Nagel case on which I suppose went before a number of, of courts and I suppose it was helpful in terms of it clarified, I think, that an employer would have to look at what, what job the employee was doing uh, when they went sick and what are, I suppose, the core or fundamental parts of the role and what, what, what work the employee can continue to do. And I think that's a really, really important guidance piece for employers because I really, really think it's important that employers um, in the current labour market on are creative and imaginative regarding any potential return to work. So in many cases, if someone is, for instance, a warehouse operative, um, you know, they might be able to return to work on a phased basis or on a two-day-a-week basis. And in general, it's better that they do that rather than that there's a termination of employment. Um, so I really think it's important for employers to consider the Dan O'Neill case, consider having a very robust, you know, information gathering process so that if they do ultimately have to dismiss and I know Joe's been involved in, in giving advice to clients where they have dismissed um, on the basis of, of ill capacity that they have a very robust process 
But, you know, you can say if you're in the Workplace Relations Commission, which they may very well end up in own in six months' time, look, here's the information. We took our time. We considered all the medical evidence. Uh, we looked at the job description. Uh, we gave time. We gave time to the employee and their um, advisors. And we ultimately took the regrettable decision to terminate the employment. And, you know, provided you've gone through a fair process and considered everything, you know, that is, in the eyes of the law, permissible. But I would emphasize that there is a very high bar in terms of what's expected of a reasonable employer before they take that, that ultimate step. Definitely. And just jumping back into the, the risks then, Joe, that we kind of, we, you've both kind of touched upon there. I mean, we both, we, you both mentioned, I mean, unfair dismissal is something that might come out of it, but there's also that whole employer brand kind of thing, because obviously nowadays, of course, our cases end up in the in the papers and that kind of stuff. But also there's that element of a lot of HR people out there, 99.9% of them just don't want to get something wrong. So there is definitely risks here, Joe. And I think from what I gather, having that policy really is your foundation, isn't it? I know it seems obvious because we always say it, but it is something that will help you a lot in preventing those issues, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, absenteeism continues to be a major hurdle for all employers operationally. I think um, IBEC's previous report put the figure at 1.5 billion to the Irish economy, and that's just core costs before you factor in replacing labour, the effects it has on business, the effects it has on morale because people are picking up um, work that otherwise would be have to be done by would be done by somebody else. So it's it's a significant factor in every workplace um, and dealing effectively with those issues, you know, can be a direct value add for, a, for HR to the company. So, you know, from my perspective, it's so important to be proactive. You know, I've worked for and with companies that have had employees on long-term sickness for so long that most people in the organization have never met them before. You know, it's the longer the person stays out, the less likely they are to come back. You know, the figure is a period of 12 weeks. If they hit that figure, the likelihood of them returning to work decreases significantly. So employers need to reach out when it's appropriate to. Um, when you get a sixer saying there will be no return for a further four weeks, invite to a welfare meeting, book occupational health assessments, but also let the employee know that you can be flexible as well, where possible, you know, because... The, the Nano and Eagle case itself shows us how important it is to make accommodations for people at work. You know, there's there's no hiding there when it comes to these situations that the administration at, at the disposal of um, Nano and Eagle was taking into consideration that they should have done more to help the employee after her time out sick. So you need to take everything into consideration. You need to be reasonable and again, you know, at the risk of sound like a broken record, get medical opinion for everything that you're doing in terms of dealing with long-term absences. Definitely. I suppose, Liam, I mean, I mean, there's an element of outsider looking in here because you're the HR people, I'm, I'm just the, the marketing guy. But would I be right in saying that typically something like sick leave can be seen sometimes as it's one of those straightforward policies, we'll put something in there and it'll be fine. But I think from what I gather from this chat about long-term absences, it's a lot more complex than that, and it is vital to have it, even though it might be, a fingers crossed, a, a tiny minority of people that will have to use it, like so many other things, it really has to be there, doesn't it? It really does, Owen. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's important, um, because Joe has alluded to in terms of the, the cost, and I suppose 
for HR practitioners and, and line managers, the time it, it takes to manage, you know, one um, long-term absence case is significant. And so it's important you have your, your policies and procedures right and that they're updated and that they're written in line with your industry uh, because different industries have different levels of absence and long-term absence and so on. So <clears throat> different industries will be different, of course. Um, so it's important that your your policies and procedures re- reflect the ethos and, and culture of the organization um, and that they're there to ultimately to support people. And really, I suppose, what are organizations trying to do? They're trying to support people at work. They're trying to ensure that people are, are dealt with fairly and empathetically. And I suppose in reality, they're trying to, to minimize the rate of long-term absence. And they're trying to do that, hopefully, in a supportive um, and balanced way. And I think if they do that, um, they'll have employees' support. Um, we certainly, unfortunately, sometimes come across situations where um, employers, and this is the exception, take a heavy-handed approach. And like, look, this guy or this person has been out for X period of time Therefore, I think it's reasonable that that I can dismiss them and give their job to somebody else. And I suppose up to a point that's correct, Owen, you know, because the, the legislation does say, yes, in theory, um, you, you can terminate the the, the employment of, of an employee who's on long-term absence. But there's practical considerations. And I think one of the other practical considerations, which you've alluded to yourself, is reputational damage. And increasingly, employers and employees um, have a high expectation in society in terms of how they treat people. Um, so, you know, certainly any potential dismissal should be taken very, very seriously and you should have a lot of protections in place um, so that employees ultimately, um, if you're in that regrettable situation where I've been and I'm sure Joe has been in, where you are terminating the, the employment of, of somebody that there's a sense that, look, I've been treated fairly. And I always emphasize, on there's a human aspect to this. So I know, like Joe, I've been in those those situations where you're sitting across from somebody, I was sitting across from somebody a couple of years ago, and, and they were in their early 40s, and they said, look, the company have treated me fairly. I understand why my employment is being terminated. I'll never work again. And I suppose when you think about that from a human point of view, there may be a family depending on that person. They may have mortgage. They may have you know, car repayments. Uh, so true, no fault of that person's always a, a medical uh, situation. Um, they're looking at a, a really significant period of their time where they won't be able to go out to work. And I think on a human level, we've got to really empathize and be aware of that and the impact that that has, not just on that person, but on their, on their family. Um, for a real long-term period of time. So therefore, I think there's a really high expectation, rightly so, on employers that they would treat people fairly. And if they have to make that regrettable decision that they've, you know, really um, made sure that it, it it's only in really, really extreme situations. Definitely. And again, I know it's clear that it's not something you can prevent happening, obviously, because it's, it's, I mean, that's just, anyone could say that. So, so I suppose, Liam, Coming back to that support piece, it is one of those things where, although you think you might not need it, I think even those soft skills you mentioned there and that perspective, there's a bit of a mindset element to this as well, isn't there? Yep. That when you're getting that process, you're not just reading a policy. 
you're getting into Indeed. the mode to deal with it, isn't it? Uh, absolutely, and I think as well, Owen, it's it's being able to sometimes advocate internally within the business um, because sometimes a HR practitioner will come under pressure from within the business, you know, why is this person continuing to be employed? Why are they continuing to be paid? You know, sometimes pay benefits and non-pay benefits in terms of, you know, pension or, you know, um, healthcare and so on and so forth. And I think, you know, HR practitioners have to be empathetic. They have to know the legislation. They have to be able to advocate from a financial or, you know, a commercial point of view, but also from a human point of view. And and that could be, well, look, you know, this guy has worked with us for 25 years. You know, he, he worked and didn't miss a day in that 25, period, 25 years of, of time. So, you know, we have to respect that. And we have to give, you know, a, a due amount of regard for that. Uh, I, you know, I accept, you know, over the last year and a half, he, he, he's, he's been out for a period of time. But let's continue to support him and see where it goes. Now, that's not a, a never-ending at some time, you know, a decision has to be made, but I sometimes think on that if if employers and senior managers only gave it another month or two, you know, there can be a different outcome. And you know, medical science is moving on very quickly. Um, things can change. I, I very much encourage employers to think creatively. You know, can this person work remotely one one or two days a week? Could that help? Could they work on a phased basis? You know. If there's intellectual capital, if there's knowledge and expertise that the employee has, uh, that's going to be lost to the organization. Wouldn't that be a shame? So, you know, how collaboratively can the employer and the employee come together and think, okay, you may continue to suffer from this uh, illness and it may be a lifelong illness, but how can we help you and how can you help us, you know, to grow the business? So I, I do think if... If there was maybe sometimes a different approach, it can lead to a different outcome. And I very much encourage the majority of employers are brilliant in this area. On they give time, they consider other options, they listen to the medical advice. Um, but there's some employers there who who want to get to the end game probably more quickly than is necessary. Would be my experience from time to time. Hundred percent. And I suppose the the one. Commonality throughout the whole conversation between Joe and, and Liam and, and myself, I suppose, is is that kind of human element. It's not just doing the, the basic right way to do it. It's, it's also how you do it. So it's great to hear those, those insights from both of you. So look, thank you, Joe and Liam, for a really insightful, practical, and hopefully useful discussion for, for many people that are dealing with this. Unfortunately, hopefully it's not a, a massive occurrence, but as Joe said there, it is something that's quite an issue here within Ireland. So look, hopefully that will alleviate some worries and, and provide some good advice to people. Um, Thank you everyone for listening. We'll catch you next week for the next installment of our podcast. So don't forget to click subscribe and join the discussion on our social media channels. If you are enjoying these episodes, do please feel free to share them with your colleagues, friends and family. And even better, if you can leave us a review on whatever platform you're on, we'd really appreciate it. And as always, for HR consultancy services and management you can trust, get in touch with us today at insidehr.ie. Thank you, Liam, and thank you, Joe. Thanks, Owen. Thanks, Owen. Thanks for joining us today on the HR Room Podcast the podcast series from Insight HR that helps you create the human resources systems and workplace culture that's right for your business. For show notes and bonus content, go to www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. That's www.insighthr.ie forward slash podcast. 
We'd love it if you subscribe, like and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to create the ideal workplace for their business. And remember, if you need any HR support, get in touch with us at Insight HR. Whether it's conducting a complex workplace investigation, filling a gap by providing you with a virtual or an on-site HR resource, or providing advice via our HR support line, we'll help you resolve whatever human resources challenge your business is facing. Thanks, and see you soon.